0: Like how you decide which sperm to use, the cold, hard truth of fertility, your reality of dating as a single mother who doesn't have a co-parent to rely on for occasional child care,
1: and what it's actually like
0: to parent as an SMC. This is the Mocha Single Mothers by Choice podcast. Hi, Pod. Today, we have a special guest joining us as we take on a very popular topic of Sit, the Mocha SMC expat experience. We have quite a few women in our community who for various reasons have either exited the US or have been dreaming about doing it for quite some time. And while we do have women who aren't American and who are living all over the world, this the focus of this particular episode will be on American MOCAs who have chosen to raise the, their children outside of the US. So we have Mocha SMC Michelle with us today who made the decision to raise her son outside
2: of the US. Welcome, Michelle. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Thank you, hi everyone. My name is Michelle. I just turned 50 and. um, Hey, congratulations. Thank you. It's fun turning 50 in a pandemic, but make the best of it. I have a seven year old son, Aiden. He just turned seven last week and we moved overseas when he was about two. When I was deciding to have Aiden by myself, I Talked to a few friends who are in the Foreign Service and I'm in the Foreign Service. So I work for the US Agency for International Development. And they all said, You're not gonna be able to afford a baby in DC. You need to move. You oh, need wow. to join the Foreign Service and you need to leave. I was like, but I don't want to leave my family. Really close to my my family, even though they live in Michigan, we're like ridiculously close. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, you can come back when he turns five and when he's in elementary school. But, you know, for those early days, you need the help. I said, OK, told my sisters and they were like, oh, but I don't want you to leave. You just had the baby. And I said, well, I can't afford to stay here. And they said, well, move to Michigan. I said, no, I'd rather be on welfare in D.C. than move to Michigan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not my favorite place, um, but because of the weather mostly. So, um, yeah, I applied to the Forest Service and was accepted in about, so I moved two and a half years um, after, was it two and a half? Yeah, two and a a half years after Aiden was born. And we moved first to Zimbabwe. And I think within a month of being there, I said, I am not moving back to America until Aiden finishes high school.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, must been, i like amazing then for <laughs> me. Yeah. <you> know.
1: <laughs> okay, so I miss you and I
0: agree I with your you
1: sisters. Too. I'm like, don't go. And I was just really, really sad when you when you when you made the decision to leave the US, but I totally understood. Now I'm going to put a period on that and pin it just for now. And so, <laughs> can you take us back through um, your process? So you you started out by telling your family, how did you conceive Aiden? What's your story there from the SMC journey
2: perspective? Okay. Ooh. So it it started in therapy when I was 35 and she was and I was back and forth him and Han. And my therapist said that you you have to make a decision on this. So she said, by the end of the summer, this was like in May or June, May, April or May, she said, by the end of the summer, you need to make a decision. So I made the decision to not do it at that time. And fast forward to when I was actually trying to conceive, I wish I had tried then. Um, but then at the end of the day, if I had been successful then, I would not have this wild and crazy child I have now. Right. And so then I started looking at the prices, um, what it would cost and what I could afford. And I think when I was 40, 39, 40, I started really looking at it. And so I ended up having a short term assignment in Kenya. And so I was in the midst of like doing all my research. And then I went to they said, we need you to go to Kenya for six months for just help support their elections. So. I immediately switched my research from America to Kenya. And I found out that there was an IVF clinic there Hmm. and they did sperm donors. And so did all of the testing. My ovarian reserve was low. Um, I had a very, very unlikely chance that I would get pregnant. But the doctor said, you know, you never know what plans God has for you. So do IVF, they do egg retrieval, unmedicated joy so mm, yeah it was nothing compared to my wait, I mean, wait, my contractions wait, 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 wait. were nothing compared to the agony hold on hold on hold on hold on mm-hmm. <laughs> <just did> <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> hold on hold on i'm like still i'm like i'm like literally over here with my jaw dropping let's let's just hold on so okay Appreciate so it. when you when you when you have ivf in the us they put you under right and i heard like, i heard that later right and like <laughs> And I, and I, I can only imagine the pain because I was in pain afterwards when I woke up. So they don't even, they don't give you anything. You're just like hanging out there and they just like go in and get them.
2: They told me to take Panadol, which is the international equivalent of Tylenol. Take two Tylenol before you come. And and I was in there calling on Jesus, the ancestors. Oh, and what's. And I was trying to like reshift my mind. So like it's on ultrasound. And so you can see the doctor take this little tiny thread. Now for as small as it is, you'd think it wouldn't hurt. So I'm watching, but then he goes in and he suctions out the eggs and you feel each one go. Boop, boop, oh, boop, and, and so you probably got... have to sit
0: still too, right? Like, yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, and why? Kenyan nurses and possibly a lot of other African countries have nurses that um, don't understand all the noise I was making there they were looking (laughs) at me like you're being ridiculous and I'm like you do it then but I was trying to and I was I mean by the end of it I just had tears running down my face and I was like this is horrible but they and they got like nine eggs and so they created the embryos I think only they don't do five day there. So they, they only do three day and the quality of the eggs. I think he put, he transferred three embryos. Um, cause I had one B and two C's and everything else was. Um, Did he
0: transfer all of them at the same time? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. He
2: didn't, he didn't think I would get pregnant either, but you know, he said if, if even one takes it'll, you know, so I, I didn't get pregnant and then he, then he said, well, maybe we can move on to um, an egg donor. So we tried that and that didn't work. And so I was like, I'm just, I was i was getting ready to go back to the U.S. So I was like, well, let me figure it out there. So I take all my paperwork back and I go to Shady Grove and she, I was like, do you want to run the blood test again? Maybe they got it wrong. She was like, I'm not going to waste your time with another blood draw. These numbers. hmm I would suggest you go the the donor egg route. And so with that, and I, I didn't I didn't process it. I was like, well, I I want a baby. This is what I have to do. I had mm-hmm. gone through so much.
1: And so, how old were you at this point because we we do we are also trying to make donor egg more approachable to to black women. So, yeah. how old were
2: you at the time you made the decision to move to donor egg? 2013. So when I was in Kenya, he suggested and I was like, "Okay, worth a try. My my goal, my dream was to breastfeed. And I was like, whatever I have to do to breastfeed, I don't know where the egg came from. I don't know. I don't care where the sperm came from. I want to I want to carry a baby and I want to breastfeed. So the other things did not matter much to me. Mm -hmm. How old were you? 41 going on 42. I'm thinking, you know, how old I was in 2013. (laughs) When I came back to the U.S., then I started looking for sperm donors and egg donors and had the hardest time. So I thought I had finally found the match. And then they sent me to Burundi for six months and I had to cancel the match and go to Burundi for six months. So were you you were in the foreign service before you had your son? Is that right? No. It's so it's kind of complicated. So I've been working for the same agency but under different hiring
0: uh got practices.
2: It. But so you've been focused on
0: Africa as a region. Yeah, since 2005. Okay. Yeah. And so did joining the foreign service, I guess I'm kind of I'm kind of wondering, you know, when you were your son's or, you know, what less than two, right. And you're trying to kind of make your decision to go, was the foreign service, the choice, uh, did that factor in because of the ease with which you were able to travel to certain places or the lifestyle? Like what was that sort of decision-making process like? And I say, I, I guess I say this from the point of as a mom who you know, has considered, like, what would I do to try to get out of the U.S., what would you tell other moms, like, with regards to, you know, that whole process of, of doing that and why you chose that process?
2: So I chose that process because it, the opportunity just presented itself, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't have a master's degree, and so most foreign service jobs, they want a master's degree. So this one came out that did not require, and I said, okay, well, I'll apply. Um, there's also the fact of I kind of know how life is, and I was a little afraid of moving, so I kind of like that cocoon of being, of being under the American embassy, and it it made a softer landing for me. But I've talked to other people. I was actually talking to another woman. She's here. She's a single mother. And she she was saying that you can work for non-governmental organizations as a foreigner and get almost the same same types of services. You'll have housing that, that either they'll pay for, they'll reimburse you for. Some of the larger non-governmental organizations will pay for schooling. Um, so that's another factor. Aid in school is paid for. So, in terms of expenses, I think one way or the other is probably the easiest way to go. I know there are. I've heard that there are a lot of there are a lot of women that leave the U.S. and and come to Nigeria with or without kids and start up businesses or do consulting. I don't know how easy it is. I mean, some countries have um, less restrictive practices for expatriates mm-hmm. um, working in the country others have much more restrictive practices I know South Africa can be challenging if you want to go there and just set up a company but if you want to work for an organization or you know there are even some international accounting firms there those are ways to do it and other place other things to think of is the cost of living the education system the likelihood of conflict or violence mm-hmm. breaking out. And there was one other thing I was thinking of: ease, ease of getting around, ease of 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 adjusting to to the local culture. Some places are easier than others. West Africa seems to have its own its own vibe, its own rules, and very different from my experiences on the rest of the continent.
1: Mm-hmm. So. Michelle, quick question. I know. So you, you took Aiden at about two, two and a half. So that was about 2016, 2016,
2: 2017.
1: Okay. So that was when politically the U.S. was changing and certain certain frictions were starting to manifest itself. Did any of that play a role into you choosing to take Aiden out of the country? And then did it factor into which country you chose to raise your son in in his formative years?
2: I had already been accepted into the Foreign Service. And, you know, that summer before the election, you could kind of see where things were going. And I started thinking, okay, maybe this is yeah, this is, I mean, it, everything was coming together, telling me that this is not the place you want to be with your little black boy. I remember I was in language training and I was at the Foreign Service Institute and we were in the cafeteria and it was the day after the election. I used remember this. And the, so when you join the Foreign Service, you join as part of a class. And so I saw a few of my classmates there. They were taking other languages. And so we go over and one woman is just like, I mean, distraught. She didn't have her contacts on. She looked awful. You know, some of the other people are just like shaking their heads. They can't believe it. And then, you know, they look at me and they said, how are you doing? And I just burst out crying. I said, I said, I can't raise my son here. They're going to kill my son. And at that precise moment, it seemed like the entire cafeteria stopped talking. Mm -hmm. So my voice was louder. And I mean, I could hear it echoing. And I was just like, oh, God. I was, but yeah. it was how I felt. I was just like, I can't stay here. Um, I had already stopped watching the news probably around August because mm-hmm. even watching the news impacted how I interacted with my son. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a shorter temper and I was just, I just can't, this is not healthy for me or for him. And I wanted him to grow up, I wanted him to be a kid. And I definitely feel like he has that here. As far as so with the Forest Service, you don't get to choose per se. You get to say your preferences. Mm-hmm. And my preference was Africa, um, preferably anywhere except French-speaking Africa, because I did not want to learn French. So they told me a few places. They, they told me Zimbabwe and Malawi. And I'd always wanted to come to Zimbabwe. For some reason, I had it in my mind early on that Mugabe was a great person. He probably was in the beginning, but. Then they snatched that away from me and said, you're going to Malawi. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll go wherever. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be in Africa because when I've been here before I had Aiden, children are so important um, and so valued here. And they, they walk on water. You know, I, to this day, if I discipline him, people are like, Oh, leave the boy alone. We, and so turns out I ended up going to Zimbabwe it was the it was the greatest thing ever he he grew up he speaks a little Shona he is very very intelligent and I think the schools had a lot to do with that
1: and and so he's just a little boy right Mm -hmm. he's not a little black boy
2: he's a little boy
0: that's so great I, I I wanted to ask you a bit about, I know that many moms, when they think about it, they worry about the logistics of childcare and schooling. And so the interesting thing about your story is that you went before your son would have been of school age, and now you're also in the school age. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how you handled childcare before he was school age? And then what, what has your experience been logistically with the schools?
2: So when we, before we went, I looked for some preschools because he's he's a social child, and so I you know I didn't want him to be at home with a nanny. So I hired a nanny housekeeper, and she had never worked as a nanny. She was mostly a housekeeper, mm-hmm. um, but she had she had she had and has an unbreakable bond with him. So I felt safe for when the times he wasn't in school, he was with her. So I found a preschool that was logistically, it was kind of a challenge. It was the opposite way from the office, but I would drop him off in the morning and then I'd go pick him up in the afternoon and people understood. Um, Eventually I found a driver and so he would do that pick up and drop off. But I found a school that really nurtured him. I mean, it wasn't, I've been really lucky. So it's not this rote learning. They, They care, they hug the kids. There's It's like a family. It's like sending, sending your child to, you know, grandma's house or uh, they, they look out for each other and the kids form this bond and, you know, they help each other. And it's like, it's what I remember when I was growing up, but the logistics, some schools have buses. This school did not. The school Aiden went to later, the embassy provided a bus. So.
0: That's awesome. That sounds, I think one of the things that sounds great about that, and I think this is one of the things that people, many people are attracted to living overseas is that, you know, you can have things like a housekeeper and a driver and all these things and, and not, and not have to be just inherently wealthy with like some ridiculous job, like you would
2: have to be in the U.S. Yeah. And it frees up time to spend with your kid. uh Mm-hmm even when you don't want to sometimes. but <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: so, so, Michelle, we we hear a lot of romanticizing about Blacksick, right? I, I want to leave the U.S. I want to flee the U.S. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to have this U.S. lifestyle in a foreign country. Can you tell us a little bit about the challenges, not just the, tell us a little bit about the challenges, challenges as an American living um, in a foreign country, and then as a black SMC navigating a foreign country.
2: In some places, people aren't sure what I am. They this is for here mostly. <laughs> they're not even sure I'm black. <laughs> Uh-oh. See, that would be so, my hard
0: part in Africa. I've been it. I went to I went to college in South Africa for a bit and it was a challenge.
2: Yeah. Questioning uh, of blackness. <laughs> yeah. Nigeria is a little different because there are people who look like me who are Nigerian. I mean they their hair <laughs> is red. So you know, there's that, and it's 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 hilarious. So I feel like I'm more, I'm less having to explain that I am black here mm-hmm. than I did in Zimbabwe or, well, South Africa. You're, you're not considered black even if you say it. You're considered, mm-hmm. colored, which is not seen in the same way as it is in the U.S. So there is a distinction there. I had to learn that. So being an American, it's weird because. A lot of times you are treated extra special because you're American. I have been standing in lines and people will say, uh, no, mama, come. You, you don't stand there. You don't wait. And it's very uncomfortable, but like you, they're like pressuring you to go to the front of the line. It's, you know, it's the sense that they don't want to inconvenience the foreign or the particularly an American woman um, or a foreign woman. I've seen that uh, in a few different places um, as a black SMC, I get the same look of shock and awe that I do in America. Like you did what by yourself? So you mean he really has no dad? And I said, nope, no dad. And then more and more women are starting to say, African women are starting to say, wow, maybe that's something I need to consider. which is is huge for because there is still a stigma stigma for being a single parent in africa and it doesn't matter how rich you are there is still that stigma so it's from women i get respect from men it's Mm. oh oh
0: but yeah it's like they don't think he has a dad right (laughs) <laughs> yeah well, I think I think even in the us people assume that we are making commentary on the importance of fathers when it really has nothing to do with that. And I think that's also you know, global societies centering maleness. And so when you when you do something that does not center maleness, they automatically assume it is as an attack uh, instead of just that it's a difference. I so,
2: am not anti-man. Yeah. So right? so I
0: love, them. I love men too. Yes, <laughs> they serve a very important purpose, purpose. uh in life. <laughs> um so so I have a question, you know, considering, you know, as SMCs we talk a lot about building our village, right? And so since many of us are not male hating and understand the influence that both genders play in our children, and also just a community in raising a kid, uh, what would you say to SMCs thinking about going abroad about uh, creating your village? Because I think one of the things that's very scary for many of us is like, we're leaving our village here in the US, right? It, and you know, our family, our friends, and we're going somewhere new. How, how did you create this village abroad? And And what are some of the things that you would tell women about creating that?
2: This might sound a bit unbelievable, but it organically happens. People found out I was a single mother and it was, do you need help? Let me help you. I think Hmm. the bigger challenge was for me to say yes. Hmm. What is helpful being overseas? I mean, to be honest, Aisha was my village in D.C., But she was still 30 minutes away that was without traffic. There were, you know, you live in a closer proximity to people here. And particularly where I am now, there are a lot of Black American women in the embassy community. And for example, both here and when I was in Zimbabwe, when it was time for Aiden's birthday, I had a circle in Zimbabwe. My circle was diverse, Black and white women um African uncles you know African aunties they when it was time for his birthday they knew I wanted to do it big they're like what can I bring what do you need me to do calm down it will be okay when I decided at the last minute to have a party for Aiden they're like what do you need I said I don't know what I need they said what (laughs) do you have I said I have meat and I have pizza (laughs) okay well, I'll bring Kool-Aid. I'll bring a pasta salad. I'll bring a cucumber salad. And they showed up and they showed out and they, you know, they just Mm -hmm. took care of everything. They made sure everything was set up. They made sure I ate. And, you know, it was like, this is what I did not have Mm -hmm. in, in, in the DC area because we're spread out all over. And Mm -hmm just the logistics of getting from DC to Woodbridge on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an hour. Yeah. Easy. It's a lot. I think
0: it's also but- great that you have this mix of the organic community that you created. And uh sometimes people, you know, don't sleep on the paid help, right? Because like though oh, that's God. part of your community too, right? And that's a really great way for people to supplement having the organic community of just friends and family.
2: Yeah. Maria. So Maria is our nanny. She, she was with us four years in Zimbabwe. She came to Nigeria. Sometimes I get emotional talking about her because she knows exactly what to do every time. Mm. We have a problem with Ada being very cranky and, and mean in the morning. Oh. <laughs> she devised this plan. She devised this plan for me to go hide in another room. and She will tell him I've gone to work. And he gets up and goes, and so Aww. I thought we I thought maybe we were over that and then he started doing it again here and she says she calls me my Aiden my means mother in Shona and so she calls me my Aiden and most people call me I start have started calling me that here <laughs> no. she says my Aiden I think we need I think you need to go hide again <laughs> and so Aww. and so I get up That's in the morning so the alarm goes off and I go hide in the other bedroom and she gets him ready she can She knows how to distract him. I I literally could not do this without her. The idea of finding a new nanny, just, I didn't know what to do because she just, she matches so perfectly with him.
1: Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I think this, question but i think that there is absolutely a gift of inviting people to be part of your village inviting people to help nurture a child and i think when people extend the offer of how can i help you it's almost it almost comes with an implied please let me help you and so that just warms my heart and <laughs> the whole conversation is making me teary <laughs> so what what bit of advice would you Give to SMCs who are planning to exit the U.S. What are, what are some things that, that you wish you had known then that you know now that you can impart as some advice?
2: Do your planning, do your research, but don't make a plan. Be open for anything because anything can happen. Have a plan. Have a plan for how you would leave if, if things got dangerous in the country and you had to leave. Because there are times where the, where the American embassy can help you, where they will, but they will expect you to pay to mm-hmm. be flown out. So having enough money for those things, um, look at internet. How strong is the internet? Are you able to, you know, talk to people back home? It's one of the things that's important since we, we go home every six months. We spend a lot of time on FaceTime or WhatsApp you know, talking to family, so they see each other. So, you know, especially if you leave with a younger child and you go back, they're not afraid afraid of, of grand-grand and Auntie mm-hmm. Shell. You know they, know, they know who you look like. Be open, be flexible. I think that's the biggest thing, be flexible. And don't have any expectations. People will help you. People will always, always, always help you in Africa. I've not had a situation where someone where I didn't stop and say, I'm lost. How do I get here? Or how do I do this? How do I fix this? That someone has not said, I know a guy, I know somebody. It really is. If you think about how we grew up in the U.S. with this sense of community and the neighborhood, looked down for the neighborhood, well, the neighborhood can be a whole country at times. You know, have your guard up a little bit, but let people help you and flexibility is key. I think
0: her. that's excellent advice. We always talk about you know, how hard it is as SMCs to say yes when someone tries to help us. Because I think that as people who have even chosen this path, regardless of what, your, uh, what the precipitating event was before you chose this path, to have chosen this path means that you are comfortable with your independence to a degree. And so I think yeah. in general, it is hard for us to accept that. So I, I really love how you have Uh, explained that, you know, just even allowing that help to occur has really helped you adjust and your son adjust to to life abroad. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for uh, helping us through this very exciting topic. We hope that it is inspired other SMCs to strongly consider this path. And if you are already considering it, I hope this allows you to take that extra leap that you need to actually make it happen. Thank you so much.
1: Well, Pod, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you like what you heard, share us with your girlfriends. We'd love to hear
0: your thoughts. So tell us what you thought of this episode on social media. On Facebook, we are at Mocha SMC Podcast. And on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Mocha SMC.
1: You can find additional information on the topics from the podcast at our website at mochasmc.com. Till next time, Pod. Bye now.